open up your copies of God's Word to the book of James. We are in the latter half of James chapter 2 today, but we haven't been in this book for a number of weeks, so what I'd our, our sermon text is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, but what we're going to do is read the entire chapter. Um, so we'll begin at verse 1, and that'll hopefully jog some memory of the last sermon and also set the context. You'll see in, in the first portion of uh, James chapter 2, uh, <clears throat> James is ad- addressing our engagement with the poor, and he's going to continue to do that as he uh, seeks to get the church to apply God's word. James <clears throat> chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and inspired word. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers that and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask that you would help us this morning as we think upon your word. Lord, you have called people unto yourself to be disciples and to be people of the word. Lord, you have also said that the Holy Spirit would lead us into truth. And so, Lord, we would call upon you, asking that you would bring all of that teaching and learning, all of that reading and studying we've done over the years, and you'd bring it to bear in our minds as we reflect on this portion of your word. Lord, we would ask for your help. We would ask for your direction. We would ask, Lord, as a diverse body, that you would speak to each one of us, giving us and telling us exactly what we need to hear. Would you do that for your own glory's sake? Lord, speak to us and give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how many of you are collectors. There are lots of things to collect, right? Some of the most popular things right now uh, to collect is antique furniture, uh, vinyl records, comic books, coins, trading cards, dolls, vintage toys, stamps, fine art, and jewelry. Some things don't change. I think a lot of these things have been pretty popular to collect for a long time. Um, People sometimes invest big money in their collection. Um, And if you get into collecting high-dollar items, you've got to be careful because there are a lot of fakes and frauds out there. There are people who want to take advantage of your investment. And maybe you've seen some of those television shows where people are trying to sell a portion of their collectibles. Some buyers will ask, if the seller has um, something to prove or to show the provenance of an item. And that word was new to me. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right. An item's provenance is its record of ownership or its uh, proof of origin. It's used to authenticate the item, right? Because um, that would give it value. But oftentimes people don't have receipts or any kind of official records. And so uh, when it's a high dollar item, buyers have to call in experts to examine those items. And there's experts for all kinds of different things, right? Baseball cards have their own experts. 
cuckoo clocks, Tiffany lamps, you name it. There's experts for each one of these. And when a high-dollar item is in questions, experts are called in to inspect them. Do they show the marks of authenticity? There are telltale signs of authenticity, and when those are missing, the item, of course, may be worthless. And in our passage, James has similar questions. Does your faith show the marks of authenticity? That's what he wants to know. James says that living faith by nature produces good works. Does your faith have the telltale signs of authenticity? James doesn't use the word authentic or fraudulent. Instead, he speaks in terms of faith being living or dead. You can see that in verse 17. He says, faith if it does not have works, is dead. This is virtually the same thing in verse 26. If it doesn't have works, it's shown not to be authentic. Is your faith alive? And what does living faith look like? These are the questions that we're going to explore. And we're going to begin with our first heading, which is living faith is compassionate. Living faith is compassionate. That is what we see at the opening of this text. James begins this section of the letter by saying, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Some people have a profession of faith, but their lives contradict that profession. Some people say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but the way they live their lives says otherwise. If someone was here and they told you that there was an active shooter outside that door, let's say the blinds were shut, and then they just walked out nonchalantly, you would be cautious, but you would really question whether what they were saying is truthful because their words don't match their actions. The same is true with someone who claims to be a Christian but who isn't bearing fruit. The Bible has a lot to say about human nature. It says that mankind was created good but that our nature became completely corrupted when our forefather, Adam, rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And how does God describe fallen humanity now? He describes fallen humanity as spiritually deaf, blind. He says that they have a heart of stone, He says that they are spiritually dead. But praise God, he is in the business of salvation. The Father chose a people to save for himself, and Jesus came down from heaven, and he lived, and he died to redeem a people. And the Holy Spirit comes upon people and makes them spiritually alive. Jesus says as much in John chapter 3, verse 3. He calls that being what? Being born again or born from above. 
It's a supernatural birth. We're talking about God resuscitating someone and making them spiritually alive. We're talking about God taking up residency in people. We see that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. You remember that when he's baptized. And the same is true with his people. The Holy Spirit descends upon his people, takes up residency in you, and stays with you. That's what the scripture says. A supernatural transformation occurs. You're given a new nature so that you believe the gospel and desire to turn from sin. Your heart is transformed so that you desire to be like Jesus. It's this supernatural transformation that compels you to good works. Compels you to want to be like your Lord, like your master. What James wants to know is this. Are you born again? Does your profession of faith show the telltale signs of authenticity? In verse 14, James asks two rhetorical questions that demand negative answers. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Genuine faith bears fruit. It works. Listen, if you profess to believe, but the way you live your life contradicts your profession, you're in trouble. To further emphasize the importance of a faith that works, James gives you an illustration. In verse 15, he writes, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So can you imagine this scenario? There's a brother or sister who attends with us. They're here with us in worship. And they're so poor that you could see it written all over them. Their clothes are a mess, rags, right? And you could see it even in their body. They're so skinny, and it's not just that that's their body type. I mean, they're missing meals. The point is that you can see it. There's no excuse for missing their poverty and the fact that the way they look, they're screaming for help. And if you being full and satisfied, sitting in your fashionable clothes, smile and wave to them as you leave and you say, be warm and filled, go in peace. You just go on your merry way without showing compassion. James is saying, how is it that the spirit is in you? How is it that you can be like that when it's so different from the character of Jesus? You say he's in you. He's your Lord. James says that if this happens, something is wrong with your faith. Something is fishy about that profession of yours. Look at the question he asks at the end of verse 16. 
What good is that? How can this faith be genuine? So he concludes in verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a false profession. That's what he's getting at. You see, living faith is compassionate, and that's because God is compassionate. You say you believe. You say you've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. He lives in you then your faith should demonstrate compassion. Your life should bear the fruit of the Spirit within you. When you read about the character of Jesus in the Gospels, you see that his heart melted for the poor and the sick. That was always the people that he was drawn to. Those who were oppressed and those who were abused, those who were in desperate need of help and had nowhere else to go, those who knew they were in need of forgiveness, they were his priority. True faith requires compassion and action. The Apostle John affirms this in 1 John chapter 3. We had this as a memory verse just a week or two ago. He writes, If anyone has this world's good and sees his brother and in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Christians are called to exercise their faith by showing compassion. Examine yourself. If you tend to talk about the faith, your faith in Christ, and the truth of the word, but you do nothing or very little, you may be, you may be in spiritual trouble. You see, living faith is compassionate, and it's consistent with your profession. That's our second heading. Living faith is consistent. Living faith is consistent. Faith that's alive is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's consistent with the Word of God. It follows Christ. It puts God's Word into practice. It's yielded to God's Word. It's it's obedient It doesn't just give mental assent to the truth of God's word. It embraces it. It it desires it. It lives it. That's what we see in verses 18 and 19. As the text progresses, James brings forth an, an imaginary objector. Someone who is pushing back on what James is saying in his illustration about being compassionate to the poor, about putting your faith into practice. In verse 18, James writes, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James envisions someone who is self-deceived here, someone who is putting words into his mouth, someone who hears what's being said today and understands it. Uh, someone who sees the inconsistency in their lives and someone who, uh, to a degree, feels guilty but refuses to repent, refuses to change. Instead, they comfort themselves by rationalizing. 
They object in their own hearts and say, James, you're wrong. There's different types of Christians. You see, that's what you're missing. I agree with what the Bible says, but I'm just more theoretical in in nature. I I like Christianity. I agree, again, with, with what the Bible says, but I'm more rational. I prefer to talk and discuss about the faith, but, but you're, you're very practical. You want to live out Jesus' teaching, and that's great for you. We're both Christians. We just have different interests. In the last half of verse 18, James responds to this kind of thinking. James replies, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James challenges this false way of thinking and says that faith and works are inseparable. Living faith is consistent with the word of God, and it bears fruit. In chapter 1, verse 18, James says, that God converts people through the preaching of his word. He says that God brought us forth by the word of truth. And then in chapter 1, verse 21, he says that the word is like a seed that the Holy Spirit implants in the heart. And that seed springs up and brings forth fruit. James is echoing the teaching of Jesus You might remember the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said that there were three kinds of soils. The hard soil, the rocky soil, and the weed-infested soil. And of these three soils, none bear fruit. But Jesus said, as for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. You see, living faith by nature produces works. It produces fruit. Like fruit on a tree, you can see it. You can recognize it. You can experience it. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, James continues his rebuttal in verse 19. He tells his detractor, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, the argument that James is making here. It's as though his opponent spoke up in his own defense by affirming the Shema from the Old Testament. Uh, This was a central truth in the ancient church, and they clung to it because they were surrounded by uh, nations that had multiple deities. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James says, Oh, so, so you've got head knowledge. You affirm orthodox doctrine. You're just, you're just more theoretical, right? James says, No, you've got faith like a demon. They believe too, and at least they have the good sense to shudder. Demons aren't atheists or agnostics, they believe. When you read the Gospels, you see when demons interact with Jesus, they they recognize his deity. They understand that he is the Son of God, and they know that there is a place of eternal punishment and that Jesus will be the judge. But they don't have affection for Christ, and they will not submit to him as king that they certainly aren't going to put their faith into action and follow him. How about you? Does Jesus own your heart? Your affections? Listen, it's easy. It is easy to learn Christian lingo. We figure out what we're supposed to say. We're good little repeaters. You know what you're supposed to say, what we want you to say. But is your life consistent with your profession? Are you bearing fruit? Is Jesus your king? James argues that living faith is consistent with your profession. It puts doctrine into practice. And he goes on to say that genuine faith is active along with works. You can see that living faith is cooperative. That is our third heading. Living faith is cooperative. James continues to write as if he's addressing someone who is contradicting him. He continues to provide, um, uh, providing his hypothetical objector uh, with two illustrations to demonstrate that genuine faith is always, always, always accompanied by works. You see, they're inseparable. Beginning at verse 20, he writes, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? God called Abraham to follow him. And the Lord, you might remember, promised that he would bring Abraham to a new land and that he would make him great. And, uh, the, and God did that. He brought him to this new land, and Abraham and his household became very great. But then later, Abraham becomes disappointed. He is discouraged because he and his wife are childless, and he thinks that he's going to have to leave his estate to his servant, Eliezer. And the Lord reaches out to Abraham, and he promises to give him a son and to make his offspring innumerable. And Abraham is elated at this news. His heart was thrilled. 
he believed that the Lord would fulfill this promise. And you could see it in his actions. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he, that is Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That faith he had. God said, I'm going to give you a son. And several years, it took many years, but several years later, the Lord fulfilled his promise and he gave Abraham a son. But then God asked Abraham to do the unthinkable. He told Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I don't know, honestly, what's more shocking, God's command or Abraham's willingness to press forward in faith. The next morning, Abraham split wood. He quietly saddled his donkey. He called two servants and his son Isaac, and then he left for Moriah. And Genesis 22 says that when he arrived, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham might not have known. He probably didn't know how it was going to happen, but he was confident that he would return with Isaac. The author of Hebrews says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And he's commended in Hebrews about his faith. And we're told that Abraham tied his son to the altar and that he raised the knife above his son and before he could plunge it into Isaac's chest, an angel from heaven called out to stop him. And the Lord said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. The righteousness that Abraham received through faith was demonstrated by his faithful obedience. His works bear witness to his genuine faith. In verse 22, James says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Completed, it says, completed by his works. Do you remember how James opened? It's been a little while, but the chapter, chapter one, opens talking about trials, these things, these tests that we go through in life. And do you remember what it says? It says, be steadfast. And when you're um, steadfast, it's going to produce in you a spiritual maturity. Maybe he was, maybe James was already thinking of this illustration and how God was working in Abraham through all these years to mature him spiritually through the things he went through. But what do we do about verse 24? What do we say about verse 24? 
James wraps up by saying, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. At at first glance, James seems to be contradicting the Apostle Paul who urges that we are saved by faith alone. In Romans 3, verse 28, Paul writes, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But there is no contradiction here. Paul is speaking about being justified before God, and James is talking about being justified before men. Paul is speaking of how Christ secured salvation through the life and death of Jesus. And James is talking about good deeds that flow forth from salvation. Acts of saving faith like we see in Rahab. Perhaps James points to Rahab next because she provides such a contrast to Abraham. Abraham, of course, was a patriarch. But Rahab was a prostitute. She was immoral and she was a Gentile. But like Abraham, she believed. She had heard about the God of Israel. And when she heard the testimony of the spies, she was converted. She entrusted her life to the Lord. In verse 25, James writes, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Rahab's profession proved to be true by the way she conducted herself. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. The Lord stirred in Rahab what she needed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, gave her what she needed to be bold and to to be wise, even to counsel the spies about their return. And she assisted, of course, in their escape. James points to these things, to these examples as illustrations of how saving faith produces good works. It produces good deeds like we see in Abraham and Rahab. And when that's missing, it points to faith that's dead. I was uh, just a young boy when my father died. I think his body might have been the first body that I If it isn't the first body I'd ever seen, it was certainly the first body I had ever seen up close. And I remember in the viewing, it was a small room, and I remember going up to the body and looking at at um, you know Adam there, and I I could tell by looking at him, even as young as I was, he was no longer there. I mean, I could see that that was his body. But he was gone. I mean, he was, he was dead. He was, he was missing. You experience this when you see the body of a loved one. And James knew the experience as well. And so he concludes with that to drive home his message. 
In verse 26, he writes, For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James says that living faith by nature produces good works. They're inseparable. I began the sermon talking about collectors. Some people collect high-dollar items with the hope that they will be good investments. And when the time is right, they take that item to the auction house to be surveyed. And that item is inspected by experts to ensure its authenticity. They want to make sure that that item is genuine before they put it up for auction. And I went on to say that James has similar questions about your faith. He wants to know if your faith is authentic. Do you have works? Are you bearing fruit? But there's at least, at least one place where my comparison breaks down. If you think that you've inherited an expensive Tiffany lamp and then you find out it's not authentic, there's basically nothing you can do about it. You're stuck with the fake. Not so with the gospel. If you conclude that your profession hasn't been genuine, you can change that today. Turn from sin and embrace the gospel. Trust in Christ's finished work for your salvation. That's even what this table before us represents, the broken body and blood of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says that when you believe, you'll be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's the ultimate seal of authenticity, the ultimate provenance. And then put your faith into action What does living faith look like? Living faith is compassionate, consistent, and cooperative. Living faith works. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, who can argue with you? Your word stands before us, and we see, Lord, what you're saying, and we also remember Romans 7 and that struggle that we identify with, that we have an old nature and a new nature, and they are at war. Lord, we would come confessing to you that we are in need of power. We are in need of strength. Certainly, Lord, if anyone is in a place of repentance this morning, we would lift them before you and we would ask you that you would give them victory with whatever sin they are beguiled with, that they are struggling with. We pray that you'd give them power over it, that they would break free from it, never to see it again. Would you do so, Lord? Would you give them power and victory even for your own name's sake?
And Lord, we are all called to grow as disciples. We are all fighting sins of various sorts. And Lord, you confront us with them in your word as we look into the mirror of your word. And so, Lord, we would pray that you would empower each one of us as we fight to lift up this heavy cross that you have called us to pick up, die on daily, carry as we follow you. Lord, would you give us strength? Would you help us? Would you transform us? Would you give us that internal desire to hate sin, to love you, and to follow you? We'd ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory's sake. Amen.